0: You are the one who was, you are the one who is, and you are the one who is to come. You are the one who knows the end from the beginning. You are the one who dwells in unapproachable light. Your holiness none can fathom, none compares to you. You are the faithful witness, the sovereign God over all, and we declare that this morning there is no other. Jesus Christ, may you increase in your church this morning more than you have ever been able to before as we eagerly embrace a decrease of self. May you become greater as we become less. Sovereign God, would you have mercy on your people this morning? Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and heart to respond to your word today that we would not be just hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word. By the power of your Holy Spirit, God, would you save souls that are lost in our midst right now? And would you sanctify your church, unify it in spirit and in truth, God? Refine our hearts of true worship for you this morning. Help us right now, God, to cast the cares of this week upon you right now. You are big enough to handle them. And you say, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Please come and speak to us. Guard my mouth, Father, from error. And say by your Holy Spirit what you desire to say. Discern the heart. Convict the heart. Strengthen it. Refresh it. Renew it. Restore it change us oh god to be more like you in jesus name if you agree church say amen amen you may be seated well loved ones let's open up our bibles to psalm chapter 127 psalm 127 and the ushers are coming forward right now and Uh, If you do not have a Bible, put up your hand. We want to put a copy of God's Word in front of you, and please keep that and take that. If you do not have a Bible at home, that's a free gift for you so you can continue to study God's Word on your own. You will not regret that investment. I guarantee it. Psalm chapter 127. And today, Mark's the start of a new series. As I mentioned last week in our family chat, we've now finished the first section of the Gospel of John, and Lord willing, we will pick that up in the fall again, but now we are going to focus on a series called Building the House, God's Heart for the Home. Building the house, God's heart for the home. And this series is going to take us right up to Easter, and it's going to have a bit of a different feel, loved ones, all right? Uh, We're not just in one book of the Bible for the next six weeks, okay? We're going to be looking at various passages throughout Scripture, still going through them verse by verse, line by line, exegetically, as God intends, but we are going to be looking at various passages in the Old and New Testament of what God's heart is for the family, what is God's desire for the home? This is the purpose of the series. We're investigating that question. What is God's heart for the home? What are his desires for it? What does he promise to bless and give his support to when he sees it present in the home? If I could sum up the series be this, what does a house being built by the Lord look like? What does a home that is being built by the Lord look like? And what we'll see here is not just, uh, it's not just God's heart or desire for the biological family. So if you're here and you're sitting here like, what do you mean? Next six weeks I've got to sit under the family. I don't have a family. Uh, wrong. Tune in. Because it's not just God's desire for the biological family, but what we will see today, his desire for the corporate community of faith, the church family, and the crucial role that the church community is to play in that. Seeing the building of the home by the Lord. And you say, why is this important? Why would we leave Gospel of John? Wouldn't it just be comfortable to keep going through there? Here's why. Because there is a very big problem. You can see it all over the place. Just turn on the news. The state, it's been a really hard week of prep. The state of the family in our country today is in crisis mode. That's a big problem. There is so much distortion and confusion about what the family is, what God has intended it to be, and how it is to function for his glory. The very institution that God instituted in Genesis 2, the institution of the family is now being redefined before our eyes by our culture. And it's taking it, this redefinition of the family is taking it further and further away from what God says it is to be. And therefore, what he will build and therefore, what he will bless. And it's so easy to look around our culture and to become so discouraged and anxious and fearful and feel helpless because we see what's going on around us, church. And we don't know how to stand on the truth of what God promises to build the family upon. Regardless of what's going on around us. His truth does not change. It is, here's, here's a great truth to write down to start. God, not our culture, is the designer and architect of the home. God, not our culture, is the designer and the architect of the home. He instituted it. And he knows how it is to function for his glory. And he has given us the blueprint for it through his word. And has promised that if we stand upon his word in faith. And daily seek to obey him by the spirit. Here's his promise. He will bless it and build it for his glory. No matter what is going on around us. You can take that to the bank. That is a promise from our king. How do we know that? Because as we will see today, write this down, God will always bless that which he builds. The home that has God's blessing is the home that God is building. And it all starts, it all starts with knowing that God is, loved ones, culture's definitions to try to redefine it this is where it starts if God's going to build the home it starts with us knowing that God is not looking for our direction of how we think the family should work God's not looking for our direction here's where everything begins he's looking for our dependence God is not looking for our direction he's looking for our dependence on him God's heart for the home begins with his heart for our dependency on him and him alone to build it. And as we will see today, if the Lord is not built... Hear this, church. Hear this, loved ones. If the Lord is not building the home, we labor in vain. And we see the vanity of trying to build the home apart from how God says it must be. And the result, look around us, is the family is crumbling all around us. Because here's the truth. The Lord must build the house if it is to endure. He has to build. It won't endure any other way. He has to be the center of it. He has to be the builder of it. The foundation of it. Or it will not endure. has no chance. And so today in our text, we will see two foundational truths that God promises to bless and to build the home through for his glory. Everything else we're going to unpack over the next number of weeks, Lord willing, is built on these two foundational truths right here that we will look at today. And it starts with our dependency upon him. Let's stand and read verses 1 to 5 from Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, a song of ascent of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early. And go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Hear the word of the Lord. If the Lord is to build the house, the first thing we must know is this. We must by faith entrust its building to him. It seems so basic. If the Lord is to build the house, we must by faith and trust its building to him. And the question that confronts us from this truth is this. God is sovereign and we are not. Are we entrusting the home to him? God is sovereign. I am not. Am I entrusting the home to him? Look at verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Let's go to verse 2. It is in vain you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Let's get some context here. Psalm 127 is written, as you see there, by King Solomon. And it is a wisdom psalm about God's divine providence and sovereignty over the matters of daily life. And the need for God to be at the center of it all... If it was not to be worthless or in vain. Verse 1 here, Solomon makes it clear that unless the Lord is the one building it. What do we mean by building? I mean like he's taking a hammer and kind of constructing things? No, 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 here it is. It means to construct or growing. If God is, if God is not building or constructing the house from the ground up and every part in between, we labor in vain. Unless the Lord is the one that's building the home, those who try to build it without putting their faith in him to do it, labor in vain. He uses that word vain three times in the first two verses. He's emphasizing it for a reason. The word vain there means this. The Hebrew means futile. Ouch. That's a shot to our pride. Vain means worthless. All our efforts... If the Lord is not building it, vain means powerless. You and I are powerless to build a home that endures without the Lord. It means meaningless, heavy-hitting, loved ones. And he says it three times to emphasize it. We need to get that. Now, I I need to, at the same time, need to bring some clarification here. You say, well, wait a second, God doesn't like hard work? What do you mean? Can I just, like, take a tight six hours on Netflix when I get home? Uh. God's not condemning hard work here. This is not an excuse to be lazy. Scripture also tells us that whatever we do, we are to do with all our might as for the Lord. 1 Corinthians, Ecclesiastes 5, Colossians 3, etc., etc., etc. We are to work with excellence in whatever our hand finds to do with all our might. Yet, without working in faith and putting our trust in the Lord to build the home, all our human effort is worthless. Full stop. Full stop. How do you think that goes over in our society today? Huh? Is this a, is this a message we like to hear? We don't like to hear this today, that we are completely powerless to build the home on our own, and that all our attempts, if not done in faith and entrusting it ultimately to the Lord, are meaningless. We are so easily deceived into think Christians and non-Christians, by the way, we're so easily deceived into thinking that we must be the ones to build the home, and therefore we must play God. We wouldn't admit that with our mouths, but our heart posture is sure saying that. But let's take a reality check, loved ones. Look around us. How's this working for us? This man can build the home. Just take a look. How's it working? As we try to remove Christ out of the culture... As we try to remove Christ out of the home just take a look over the last 10 years are our families stronger than they were 10 years ago? How about 5 years ago? Are they any stronger? I mean if we're really enlightened and we have all the answers is this removal of God working? Do more kids have two parents in the home than not? Something's wrong. And it needs to change. Now, how's it going depending on ourselves? See, let's take a look here at who God is. If We're going to say, well, how, can, how do I know I can entrust the Lord to build the home? How do I know he's going to be faithful? How do I know I don't have to take it on myself? Let's look at who he is and what he can do and why we can and must entrust the building of our homes to him in faith. You see the word here in Psalm 127 that he uses to describe himself? God could have used anything. Why did he choose Lord? Unless the Lord builds the house, here it comes, keep with it. Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the sea. He's emphasizing the name Yahweh. That is Hebrew. Yahweh. And here's what Yahweh encompasses in this description. Write this down. Be comforted with this today. Eternal. That means whatever God does, it will endure. He's specifically choosing the name Yahweh here for a purpose. Whatever he does, it will endure. Next, he is self-existent. He doesn't need anything. And he depends on nothing. He is sufficient to do all he says he will do. Next one, he is the one bringing into being. He brings it into being. If the family is to be built, it's because God is bringing it into being. He is the giver of existence. Next one. He is the one who brings to pass what he desires. He is the performer of his promises. All 3,000 plus of them in his word. He performs them. Check this out. He is the absolute and unchangeable one. He will not change with the tide of the culture. God's not sitting up there with his feet up, scratching his head, being like, oh, wait a second, I didn't see this coming. He is unchanging. He is absolute. He is firm. Hey, and then there's you and me. Then there's you and me. Are you and I any of these things? What chance do you think the home has if God's not building it? Question, who would you rather put your faith in? God or man? Follow that up with this one. Who are you putting your faith in right now? Who would your kids say? Who would your spouse say? Who would your friends say? You're putting your faith in to build the home. Are you, are we, entrusting the building of our home, the building of the family to the sovereignty of God? Or are you putting your faith in the lie of the sovereignty of man to try and do what only God can do? You may ask, well, how do I, like, how do I know? Like, what does this look like? If we want to get as practical as we can, or I pray this series would be so equipping for our church, I need it just as much as anyone else here. How do I know what this looks like? To entrust its building to the Lord. Well, he gives us a litmus test. The psalmist here specifically looks at two areas he emphasizes of what it looks like when we entrust the Lord to build our homes. Use this. We must entrust the building of our house to the Lord, number one, for his protection over it. God is our only true security. We must entrust the home to him for his protection over it. God is our only true security. Look at verse 1b. Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Here it is. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. The Hebrew word for watches there means this. Keeps preserves, secures the home, protects the home. Unless it is the Lord doing those things, we labor, the watchman, the one who is to bring security, labors in vain. See, in Israel, let's get some context, in Israel, the cities were often walled to guard against enemy attacks. And the watchmen were the ones who would be stationed on those walls. And they would give alert if they were under attack. And so the result is these cities, these people, these communities would spend so much time, so much energy, so much effort and resources trying to secure or fortify themselves against anything that could threaten them. Has anything changed under the sun? Resources, time, energy, trying to secure and fortify themselves against anything to threaten. Now, does this not describe society today as well? We live in a culture of fear. We live in a culture of fear, and we are desperately trying to secure ourselves against discomfort, trial, or hardship. And that takes on a variety of forms. And we work so hard and we burn out to try to keep things secure. Yet God says here that all of that effort, all of your resources, all of your time would be completely useless if it is not done in faith, knowing that your security your protection was ultimately and completely dependent on him alone. Unless God, hey, here's the truth, unless God allows your security, you don't have any. Neither do I. Unless he's watching over the home There is no security. No matter how many alarm systems you have, how many locks on doors you have, no matter what, unless the Lord allows it to stay secure, it won't. Now, again, God is not condemning the importance of the watchman here. Do you understand this? God is not condemning the importance of the watchman to stay awake in times of war. That's a wise thing to do. Put the watchman on the wall. That's wise. But we're not depending on the watchman for ultimate security. Because all it takes is for one watchman to fall asleep on duty and you're done. We're depending on the Lord. But we're, we want to use wisdom and put the watchman in place. That's fine. But who are we ultimately depending on? And bring that home today. Who or what are you trusting in for your security today? Maybe for some of you it's like, well, I gotta stay in really great shape and I gotta just make sure we're eating right and do all this. Hey, great stuff, guys. But are you depending on that? Unless the Lord gives you your health, you don't have it. And it's so become an idol in our society today. How about... Other watchmen, we put in today. Our own effort. Are we trusting our security to our own effort? If I just work real hard, my family will be secure. If I just put in the overtime, if I just do this, if I just do that, then my family will be secure. Really? Is that who you're depending on right now? What happens when you get sick? What happens when the inevitable burnout crashes you? Where's the security now? How about this? In our finances, I was in setting up some bank accounts with my children last weekend. And you see on the walls securities, 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 securities. Really? Is it found there? Really? Now we want to be wise. We want to be wise stewards of our money? Absolutely. God doesn't have anything against RRSPs. But are you depending on them? What happens when the stock market crashes? Where is it now? What happens when that guy at the bank hacks into the system and then deletes your bank account? What happens then? Is that what you're depending on for your security? Finances? How about this? My job status. You know, I had the privilege of preaching at a men's event for Power to Change last night, and it was just such a beautiful blessing see guys being like, yeah, I've just been depending on this career. If I just work uh, so hard to get my grades and my exams, and if I just go at this frantic pace, then I'm going to get the job and I'm going to be secure. Really? You sure? The only way you get that job is if God allows you to get it. You can work your tail off and not. Where's your security? You trusting in the job? Your grades, your exams? How about this? Possessions. If I just accumulate enough stuff, I'll be able to pass that on. I'll be able to be secure in my home, and my car, and all this. Stuff. Really, really? Hey, loved ones, the only reason you and I have possessions is because God has given them to us and allowed us to have them. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. But will you still say, blessed be the name of the Lord? What sovereignty do you think you have? See, there is only one who truly watches over the home. And we must put our trust ultimately in him by how? You say, how do we do this? Here it is. Trusting in his protection. Trusting for the Lord to secure the house. Trust in his protection. Pray for his safety. And give glory to him for daily preservation. It doesn't mean you'll never get sick. It doesn't mean you'll never go through a crisis. But you can still trust in his protection that if he's allowed it in your life, he will see you through it in your life. Because he is true security. The only true security we have. So what are you trusting in for security? In self, you will be fearful and you will retreat behind closed doors. If you trust in the Lord, you will be wise, but you will Relax. Relax. It's one of the most spiritual things we could say today. Relax. Next, second litmus. We must entrust the building of the house to the Lord for his protection over it. God is our only true security. But also, we must entrust the building of the home to the Lord for his provision for it. God is our only true provider. Look at verse 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. The picture here the psalmist is using is of a farmer with his crops. And God says, just as it is vain to try to depend on anything else but God to protect you, it's also vain to try to depend on anything or anyone else to provide for you. Notice what he says here. You are burning the candle at both ends. Getting up early, going to bed late, day after day after day. You are burning the candle at both ends, working endlessly, getting up early, going to bed super late to get results that leave you feeling, ready, ready, anxious, stressed, overworked, worried, and fearful about how you're going to provide for yourself, how you're going to pay the next bill, how you're going to make ends meet. Staying up at night, toiling away, eating the bread of anxious toil. What does anxious toil mean? Hebrew there means eating the bread of sorrows. Where does all your work get you? What's your home environment like from doing that? The bread of sorrows. And and, and sure, sure, loved ones, you may get some bread. You may get some bread from your efforts, but at what cost? At what cost emotionally to you? At what cost relationally to your family and to your friends? At what cost physically? What's it costing you to eat the bread of sorrow, loved one? Because you won't entrust it to the building of the one who can build it. The only one who can build it. What's it costing your family? Have your kids seen their dad or mum at dinner? Has your spouse seen you and had a night with you? Have you been able to take a Sabbath this week? See, what bread are you eating these days? What bread am I eating? This was such a gut check for me this week. What bread am I eating these days? Who am I, who are you ultimately depending on to provide for you? You know, here in today, you look at society, it's almost like busyness is a badge of honor. How are you? Oh, I'm busy, I've got a full calendar. Oh, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. Really, really? There's nothing wrong against working hard. God's not condemning working hard. We need to. Put in a hard day's work, absolutely. But I will tell you this. Busyness that leads to anxious, stressful, overloaded, Burnout is not a badge of honor in God's eyes. Ever. Ever. It is not a badge of honor, no matter what culture says. And you know, I saw this. You don't have to look far to see this. I did some research today. You know, there was an employee <clears throat> in a company who worked... 159 hours of overtime in one month recently and dropped dead of heart failure. You think that's a surprise? Eating the bread of sorrows, the bread of anxious, at what cost? At what cost? When's the last time we had dinner with our families? Had a Sabbath. And some of us may sit here and say, well, I can't take that. I've got so much to do. I can't. Okay, then the question becomes for you right now. um, Who are you really trusting in to provide for you and your family? Loved ones, hear this. Your only true and ultimate provider is God alone. And when we are trusting in him to provide for our needs, which he promises to meet every single one of them, not our wants, but our needs. He promises to meet everyone, and we know ultimately it's up to him to do so. We can stop the destructive cycle of working to the point of exhaustion and stress and trying to play God, and after putting in a hard day's work, we can come home and rest in him. Because rest is a gift and he gives his beloved sleep. I love how commentator Alan Ross says it this way. Sleep represents resting in the security, confidence, and satisfaction of knowing that one's life is in God's hands. What a statement. In other words those who place their complete trust in the Lord may rest assured that he knows their needs and will provide for them. And that agonizing and laboring in fear and anxiety will not get any more done than what he chooses to give. Who are you depending on for your provision? See, God can give the same amount in 40 hours of work as 60. He can do more in five seconds than you and I can in five years. This is where we need to walk by faith and not by sight. Loved one, he see- know this, know this. I don't know where you're at. But you need to know this, loved one. He sees your need right now. He's not intimidated by it. He sees your need right now, and he says, I can meet that. Will you trust me? Matthew 6, Jesus says it so beautifully. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. But what about this? What about this? What? Don't be anxious about your life. Stop eating the bread of sorrows, please. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. No more bread of sorrows. See, trusting in God's sovereignty, I love this, kind of humorous, trusting in God's sovereignty should always lead to our sanity always rest is the mark of the life of the home that trusts in God's sovereignty to build the house so question how much of the anxiety and stress you have right now is the result of you trying to do what only God can do Ask your spouse, ask your friends, ask your kids. How much of the collateral damage in our families and relationships, the homes filled with debt, the impatience, the anger, the stress, the fear, the division, the lack of unity are a result of this? Question, how about in your home right now? the Holy Spirit is here convicting you right now, remember, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But revelation from God always leads to responsibility before God to do something about it. What's your next step there? And you may ask, how will the need be met? I've got all these people. How, i got my faith. How will I need to be met? If I don't burn the candle, keep burning it, elongating the day. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. Waters don't part till the feet get wet. You do your job and be faithful. But at the end of the day, loved ones, remember, only God can build the house, protect the city, and grow the crops. Stop eating the bread of anxious toil. If the Lord is to build the house, by faith, we must entrust its building to Him. And if the Lord is to build the house, last point today, by faith, we must steward the blessings from Him. We must steward the blessings from Him. And in this specific context... The psalmist earmarks children. We must steward the blessings from him. And the question we are confronted with is this. Our mission is to train God's kids in his truth. Are we doing this? Are we doing this? Look at verse 3 to 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now you may say, you read that, well, wait a sec, this doesn't apply to me. I don't have kids. I can't have kids. I I don't have kids. I'm single. Well, how does this even apply? Let me redirect you to the very start that we read notice there under the title unless the Lord builds house what does it say a song of a sense what does that mean the people of God here's what we have to know the people of God would sing this psalm the community of faith would sing this psalm as they went up to Jerusalem Jerusalem's on a mountain and as they walked up to Jerusalem for the festivals the whole community would sing this song together And it emphasizes that the building of the home, the training up, the mobilizing of the next generation for the mission of God was a community responsibility for the people of God. Whether they're single, whether they don't have kids, whether they do have kids. It is our mission to train up children as faithful members of God's people. And we see two ways the psalmist gives us here that we are called to do this in this specific psalm. If our mission is to train God's kids in his truth, here's what it starts with. We must value them. Value them. They are a heritage, not a hindrance. Let me repeat that again. Children are a heritage, not a hindrance. Look at verse 3. Behold, means let me get your attention. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Fruit of the room, a. Reward. The word heritage there means inheritance, a portion, sovereignly given by God to people whom he chooses to give them to. Assigned by God to entrust that family, to entrust that community with kids as one of the many blessings he can give a family Children are not the pinnacle. This is the sign of God's favor on your home. There are many faithful couples that are living for the Lord Jesus Christ and yet in His sovereign wisdom God has not chosen to give them children. But He's blessing their home and children are one blessing that He can give to the home of many And as such, these children are to be valued and cherished and developed as an entrustment from God. To be raised to come to know the truth of God and defend it. Look at our culture today. Look at the attack on children today. We see kids today looked upon as burdens and not blessings. We see children looked upon as disposable and not desirable. You don't want the kid? Just kill them. Thousands per day. Disposable, not desirable. Just get rid of them. Keep your life convenient. Really? I'm pretty fired up about that. I hope we are. As the community of faith. Culture uses them to accessorize our lives But not we do not evangelize them. Accessorize. Don't evangelize. Question, how do you see your kids? How do we as the church see our children? How do we see our kids? How do we in the church? Are they a heritage or a hindrance? God help, loved ones, God help us. God help us if we become a church that we get irritated when children walk in front of us. God help us if we are mean and grouchy and impatient. God's value for children is to be seen by the value we place on them here as his hands and feet. It's time to repent If serving in Harvest Kids is just some big burden for you, it's time to repent. It's time to repent if we can just sit by as a church and say, well, someone else can look after my kids. It's time to repent and get your hands dirty. We have a responsibility as the community of God to mobilize our children for the gospel because here's the truth. God didn't give you kids to make your life easier but to make his name known through you to them. He didn't give Harvest Bible Chapel, Ottawa, Hope Bible Church, Ottawa, what do we call now? The church. <laughs> he didn't give the church... 40 kids down the hall right now, just so we can say, man, we got a children's ministry. They are an entrustment. They are a heritage. And we are called to speak up for them. They are not disposable. Feel free to disagree with me after the service if you like. And if you say, well, I do value my kids. Okay, just let me ask. Would they say that? By how you treat them? By how you act when you come home at the end of the day? By the investment you put into them? Would our children down the hall in Harvest Kids right now say, I know I'm part of a church that loves me because people are investing into my life and it's not just a daycare for them? Would our children say that? With yours, and you're, you're like, well, how do I know? Here's, here's a great idea. Ask them. Some of the most humbling conversations I have ever had have come at the hands of my two nine-year-olds, a six-year-old, and a four-year-old. Say, how, do you know Daddy values you? Do you know Daddy loves you? How do you know that? How can I do better? And once you get past the, well, Dad, you can show me you love me by buying me a Nerf gun. Once you get past all that stuff... <laughs> Once you get past all that, you say, You know what? I have noticed you've been really quick to put me to bed and we didn't get our story this week. I got to change. That's on me. I noticed you weren't at devotions tonight, Dad. You were just too rushed heading out the door. That's on me. I need to own that. They're a heritage, not a hindrance to my schedule. They are the primary mission. truth is God's value should be seen through how we value them our mission is to train God's kids in his truth by valuing them they are a heritage not a hindrance and secondly last point is this by teaching them God's word not the world's way God's word not the world's way look at verses 4 and 5 like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children of one's youth blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate see the psalmist then compares children to arrows or weapons in the hands of a warrior and he says that the man whose quiver is full of them will be blessed now what we have to debunk here is this god's not saying there's one specific size of family that gets his blessing A full quiver could be one kid for a family. A full quiver could be five kids for a family or ten kids. Whatever it is. There's no specific size that God's saying he blesses here. All right, But he says the man who fills his quiver with them is blessed because his kids will be able to speak on behalf of or defend the honor of their father when he is speaking with his enemies at the gate. What is the gate? Remember how I told you? The cities were walled. Earlier, this is the gate to the city. And in the Old Testament, the gate was where the court was held. Now we have courthouses. They met at the gate. And the father, what he's saying here, the father would not be put to shame because the children would know, get this, what was right and wrong by being trained in the truth of God and could stand up against adversaries that came against them. They had been trained and brought up and discipled in the truth of God and could therefore stand against their adversaries in defending the honor of their father. Question, are we training them? In our homes, in the church, I saw a stat this week, listen, 85% of Christian parents know that it is their primary responsibility to disciple their children in the gospel But here's the back half of that stat. 67% of those people have no idea how to do it. We've dropped the ball. And it needs to change. Are we training God's kids in his truth? Loved ones, I want you to be encouraged with it. You say, maybe you're in that 85%, you're in that 67%. You're like, I have no idea what this looks like. I have no idea encouraged our mission today is still to train God's children in his truth through his word and give them every opportunity to come into the family of God through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ that they too would be able to stand against their adversaries which will I don't even want to know what my kids are going to face compared to what we're facing today They'd be able to stand up against their adversaries and uphold the truth in honor of their heavenly father. And even though, hey, church, loved ones, parents, let's talk. Even though it seems like a daunting task at times, and if you're anything like me, so often you feel like you're screwing your kids up more than helping them. It seems like a daunting task so much. We must, by faith... We must by faith do what he's called us to do and entrust them just as he sovereignly gave them to us. We must entrust them to his sovereignty to do what only he can do in their lives to bring them to himself. You and I cannot save our children. No matter how many family devotions you do, no matter how many daddy dates you go on, you cannot save your kids and neither can I. Only the sovereign work of God can. But we are responsible to do our part to see it happen. God will decide who he saves, but it's our job to be faithful with the shepherding of the next generation that is under some serious assault in our day. To mobilize them in the gospel we are not called to save our kids but to shepherd our kids. And if we are dropping the ball on this because we're eating the bread of anxious toil where God has already started to, as God has already stated that he's going to meet the needs we need a readjustment now. And we don't sit under condemnation if you are in Jesus Christ for this, but feel the conviction and know that there is comfort on the other side of repentance, not condemnation. God will help you. And you wonder, like, where do I even start? It starts by doing this. Get your kids together. Get your fam together. And open God's word one verse at a time. Just start there. You know what, parents? We have... Harvest Kids take-home sheets. One thing I do after most services, I go back to the Harvest Kids registration desk and I look at how many parents took the take-home sheets for their kids that week to reinforce the lesson that was just taught. It's laid out for you step by step. Parents, do it. Take it into your home. It's no good sitting on a table. Pray for our Harvest Kids workers. Step up to be a Harvest Kid worker, to invest in the next generation. I have no shame of calling that out. The applications are at the back. Get the ball rolling. This is a community. This is a song of a sense. This is a community responsibility that we are all having an entrustment for. No question. Harvest Kids, go to your website. There's a whole page on our website for kids. Do the worship songs. Sing them at the table with your kids. You say, I can't sing. Just try. It's a lot of fun. Your kids will love it. They'll teach you the words. And the actions. Ask your small group if you're in a small group. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group. So you can get counsel in the abundance of wise counselors. Proverbs 24, 6 says, we wage war and there is safety. Start serving in Harvest Kids. Guys, let's mobilize. If you call, loved ones, if you call Harvest Bible Chapel Ottawa, <laughs> Hope Ch- the church, your home church, here's the reality. It's our responsibility. Let's get after it. No more sitting on the sidelines. There's a generation that's been entrusted. But be encouraged, loved ones. You and I as parents, we as the church, we are not alone. There was one son who perfectly spoke on behalf of his father. There was one son who stood up to his adversaries in the face of immense opposition. When he was hauled into court, the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ who perfectly trusted in God's sovereignty even as it led him to his death on a cross for our sin and his resurrection three days later and for all who have repented of their sin and trusted him alone as their savior, he has promised to give us all we need, all of the grace, all of the patience, all of the capacity to do exactly the mission that he has entrusted to us, to do our part so he can do his. Jesus Christ will see the house built on a firm foundation with him as the cornerstone. I don't care what's coming at us against in culture. This promise is true. And we're going to unpack that over the next number of weeks. What this looks like practically. But this is where it all starts. Because apart from Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. Jesus Christ will build the house. When we entrust its building to him... And when we steward the blessings from him, the question is this, loved ones, will we call on his name and depend on him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your truth. I pray right now for anyone in this room feeling a spirit of condemnation, We just can't cut this, and recognizing as you have illuminated just how we've missed this in our lives up to this point of trusting in your sovereignty, stewarding the blessings you give to see you build the home. I pray right now, through repentance and faith, they would find comfort in Jesus Christ. They would know that you are with us to the end of the age, that you have not left us to ourselves against this monster of a tide of culture. Your word will prove true. It will stand firm. And God, I ask in Jesus' name that we would be a church, we would be families, we would be singles, we would be couples that call on the name of the Lord in a song of sense, God, saying we trust you. You are our strength when when we are weak. You are the light in our darkness, and we will call on the name because our God is greater. May it be so, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.